0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we ask for a glimpse of your glory this morning. Do at this time what you will, do with our hearts what you will amen be seated lent begins wednesday this week i'm sorry if i've just shocked anybody you still have a few days to get your affairs in order today is the last sunday in epiphany the bookend of the season in which we've witnessed stories of Christ's revealing himself as savior of the world each year, on the last Sunday of Epiphany, we hear the story of the Transfiguration. and The story was intentionally placed here in our lectionary, and it serves as a bridge to what comes next in the cycle of our church life, Ash Wednesday and the 40-day journey of Lent. The Transfiguration story actually equips us well to move into Lent, so it's okay if you haven't been mentally preparing much before now, if we can do it together this morning. We'll find that the story of the Transfiguration provides us with a beautiful invitation that will equip us for these dark days ahead. Today's collect found um, in the early pages of your bulletin, page 4, is a beautiful summary of the Transfiguration story, and I want to use it to guide us this morning. So if you'll turn there with me, it reads, O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed His glory upon the holy mountain, Grant that we beholding by faith the light of his countenance may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, amen. As we reflect on this collect, the opening phrase gives us a helpful location. It places the transfiguration in view of the upcoming passion the crucifixion of Jesus. And though the Passion doesn't immediately follow this story, in fact, there's quite some time in between, the Gospel writers clearly have it in view. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all place the story of the Transfiguration immediately after Jesus tells his disciples plainly that he must suffer and die. And going from the transfiguration, Jesus orients himself. He sets off toward Jerusalem, the place where these things would happen. So as we read this story, that trajectory should be on our minds, as it was surely in the minds of the disciples who were there with him on the mountain. The Collect reads that God revealed the glory of the Son upon the holy mountain. In the Gospel reading, Luke tells us that while Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly the disciples saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. The disciples in this moment witness glory. A large cloud descends and overshadows them as a voice from heaven speaks. It's all very terrifying and it has quite an Old Testament feel to it, doesn't it? I mean, even the characters in the story are from a different era. In fact, there's a lot here that resonates from the Old Testament. It's often noted how Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. Moses as the face of the Ten Commandments the Lord gave to Israel, and Elijah representing the witness of the prophets, those many individuals who often gave their lives speaking forth the words they received from the Lord. And so as these three stand together on the mountain, what we see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things, that Jesus came not over against the law and the prophets, as if as if to discredit them, but in direct accordance with them as the fulfillment of them. But there's more. There's another reason why Moses and Elijah are the characters chosen for this great moment. See, both Moses and Elijah had in their own experiences encountered God on a mountain. Except, in their experience, it was nothing short of terrifying and potentially life-threatening. If you recall the story of Moses, he was on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and he boldly requested, Lord, show me your glory. And God does, but in a very limited way. God hides Moses in the cleft of some rocks as, and covers him with his hand as he passes by, only allowing Moses a glimpse of his back. God protects Moses in this way, telling him, no one may see my face and live. And we heard in our Exodus lesson that when Moses descended down the mountain, immediately after this, his face was radiant. It was physically altered from this experience of having beheld God, and he had only seen a sliver. God seems to like showing his glory on mountains because Elijah has a similar experience. For his part, having fled for his life, Elijah harbors in a cave. The Lord comes to him and tells him, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And God then gives a marvelous display of his power. The earth shakes around him. A a strong wind shatters the rocks on the mountains. There's a fire and finally a still small voice that speaks to him. Or in some translations, the sound of sheer silence. Only now does Elijah emerge from the cave to speak with God, fully covering his face with his cloak, and wisely so. Now, in our Gospel reading, here are these two men from different generations in Israel, on a mountain, appearing in glory, in dazzling light, and soon overshadowed by a great cloud. In many ways, this sounds about right for them, except this time no one is hiding. No one is veiled. And this is a stark contrast. These men, these pillars of faith in Israel, who were unable to look at the face of God lest they would die, are here with Jesus, speaking to him, conversing face to face. What we're catching a glimpse of in this moment at the Transfiguration is a revelation, a confirmation of Jesus's identity, the Son of God in flesh and bone, the unapproachable God now, approachable visible human with whom his companions could talk and eat and laugh and look in the eyes the blinding light the thick clouds the voice from heaven all of these all of this testifies that the lord who is appearing before them is one and the same and that has huge implications for you and me it transforms the way that you and i are able to meet with god see the access to Almighty God that the disciples had as they journeyed with Jesus, the intimacy, the relationship they had was something Moses and Elijah could have only dreamed of in their lifetimes. The son of God capable of fire and earthquakes and all the rest, walking the, the streets of their small towns in sandals. This brings us to the next phrase of our collect. "O God, before, who before the passion of your only begotten son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, Grant that we beholding by faith the light of his countenance, by faith we behold him as well, face to face. How is this possible? How are we granted the privilege of beholding our God? And now we encounter an important detail in our gospel reading. In fact, Luke is the only gospel writer who includes this. He clues us in on what it is that Jesus, Elijah, and Moses are conversing about on the mountain that day. And it's fascinating. We, we read, they, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. His departure? Kind of a nice way of putting it. What's going on here? Is Luke just avoiding using the word death like some of us do? Well, there's something deeper being hinted at here. That choice of wording, Jesus' departure. The word translated departure comes brimming with meaning. It's like Luke is prodding us to connect the dots, to see what's really going on here. See, they were speaking of Jesus's departure, or in the Greek, his exodus. Instantly, our minds flood with imagery, right? The exodus was that great event in Israel's history that defined who the Israelites were as the people of God, brought out of slavery into freedom, into the Promised Land to become a holy nation that brought glory to God. The Exodus event was the definitive act of God in Israel's history, when God intervened for those he loved and delivered them from their oppressors. The Israelites were, no matter how many generations down the line, they were people of the Exodus. And here in today's Gospel story, we are being signaled about another Exodus or more accurately, the fulfillment of that original exodus. Moses served as God's instrument of deliverance in the exodus from Egypt, and here he stands alongside the man Jesus, God himself come to deliver his people. But this deliverance would be greater, eternally lasting. This deliverer would not invite just Israel, but all of humanity to come with him up out of Egypt, out of our bonds of slavery to sin and death. And, and into the new life in the Promised Land, where we are made holy and bring glory to God. And this deliverance, like the first exodus, would be brutally won. In the days leading up to the Transfiguration, Jesus had been telling his disciples what must happen to him. And they couldn't believe it. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't understand how, if Jesus was the Messiah, the reigning King, how his story could go like this. Where is the victory if the Messiah suffers and dies? What they didn't understand was, in the words of T.F. Torrance, instead of thwarting the national hope of Israel, Christ's suffering would bring that hope to pass. The Transfiguration is this heavily, richly symbolic event. It's the place where we glimpse that the glory of God and the suffering of Christ are of one. The scriptures are full of awesome displays of God's power and glory alongside promises of a coming king who would rule in righteousness and fix all that had been broken. We read and feel the story of salvation crescendoing throughout the scriptures and finally reaching its climax in death. The promised deliverer, the Son of God, comes to his people not in violence or judgment, but in willing sacrificial self-giving not riding chariots armed with swords and torches, but in sandals walking the dirt paths of Israel. As Jesus and his disciples step foot in Jerusalem, Jesus turns to them and says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. In the coming days he is accused, arrested, mocked, walks on foot up the hill to Calvary, burdened with the weight of the cross. And this is what he regards as his glorification. Where is the glory of God in this story? Because it's not glory as we imagine God ought to glorify himself. We can see the, the, the strong winds and the mountains quaking and the fires, but through the cross, Christ's death and resurrection, this is the avenue through which our hope comes to pass. Brought out of Egypt into communion with God, to where we can behold him face to face. This is God's glory because this is what he has always wanted, communion with his people, to let his face shine upon us, for us to receive the light of his face. And this is what we as the church are privileged to do, to behold by faith the light of his countenance. And we now turn to the part of the collect that is a petition, and we see in it that we're asking for two things, to be strengthened to bear our cross and to be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Given what we've talked about this morning, the relation between glory and suffering, we realize these two things aren't all that different, are they? Jesus faced a hard road ahead after descending from the Mount of Transfiguration. But so did the disciples. They were afraid, confused, and unsure of what to do next. The road ahead of them would be dark, but They had just seen a marvelous thing, hadn't they? They had witnessed Jesus in extraordinary glory and might. They had maybe caught a glimpse of just who this person was that they were spending time with, who knew them and cared for them. This is the bridge that carries us into Lent. Beginning on Ash Wednesday, we as the church are invited to walk a dark path over the next 40 days, but not without first glimpsing his glory and being strengthened by knowing He is with us as we walk. I wonder if you can recall a moment in which you glimpsed the glory of Christ. What was it like when you beheld him? The Apostle Paul tells us that we have an advantage far above what Moses and Elijah ever had. We have no need to hide from God. Instead, Christ invites us to behold him fully, to see his face shining upon us. In 2 corinthians 3 verse 18 paul writes and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the lord's glory are being transformed into his image from glory to glory like the disciples we are invited to the mount of transfiguration to behold jesus for who he really is i've learned that it's often in one of two ways that christ allows us to behold his glory in the rhythms of our Christian life and in the unexpected moments. The unexpected moments of beholding his glory are things like the birth of a child or when that child grows into their preschool years and says something to you one day that just knocks you off your feet, makes your eyes fill with tears, gives you a taste of how good God is. Other times I've experienced unexpectedly the glory of Christ, a day of warm sun in the midst of a cold gray winter, a youth retreat, a funeral, hearing someone share the testimony of God's saving grace in his or her life. I wonder what those unexpected moments have been for you, how God has met you. These times where we behold Christ's glory, as we saw in our gospel story and read in our collect, they strengthen us for the path ahead. Of course, due to the unexpected nature of these encounters, I can't exactly tell you to now go have one, can I? They are necessarily unexpected, like gifts from the Lord that catch us by surprise rather than something we've gone looking for. But thankfully, the Lord also meets us and reveals his glory to us in the rhythms of our everyday life together, we could say in more expected ways. All that's required for us here is to make ourselves available to him. For example, we gather each Sunday to worship through song, prayer, hearing and reflecting on the scriptures, partaking in the Eucharist. The reason we gather and do these things is because Christ has promised to meet his church, to meet you and me in them, to reveal himself to us and to shine his face upon us. And of course, these rhythms are not limited to Sunday mornings. As we go about our days with hearts longing to glimpse of him, Christ does not hide himself from us. In the rhythmic disciplines of prayer, scripture, meditation, fasting, worship, serving, Jesus is ready to encounter us. For us to behold him face to face. But that's hard to do. Meeting face to face with God means also exposing ourselves to be fully seen by him. And that's scary because many of us are quite aware that we bring shame and a whole lot of messiness with us. Meeting face to face with God exposes us. As I've been working on this sermon, I've had a really busy week and have been feeling really overextended. I was wrapping up the first draft of my manuscript on Thursday night. I was already stressed because that was later than I wanted to have my first draft done. Josh was here for the Foundations class at church, so I was anticipating having all evening after my kids went to bed and really dig in and make some headway. Well, I battled my kids for the full three and a half hours that Josh was out that evening. It just was one of those nights. I don't know what it was, but they would not go to bed. I had been up since six that morning and I was completely at the end of myself. I had no grace left. I was not a kind mother to them that evening. And as I came down the stairs for the millionth time to the couch, ashamed of myself, hanging on by a thread, thinking if they cry one more time I'm going to lose it, I sat on the couch and realized I had a sermon still to write. I looked at my computer and I wondered if it was possible that the story of the Transfiguration had anything to say to me right then in that moment. And I felt the Lord beckon me to look at him. In my shame, in my weariness, to look at him. He wanted to see me face to face and he wanted me to see him in all of his light and beauty shining on me in love. The story of the transfiguration invites us to look at Jesus, unveiled without covering or pretense, exactly as we are, and to receive the light of his face as it shines upon us. And as Paul promises, the light of his face is healing. It is transformative. It changes us into his image from glory to glory. And like Moses, we come down the mountain reflecting that light that we've seen. These encounters are what strengthen us to walk through the difficulty of our lives, especially into the journey of Lent, walking with Jesus as he walks to the cross. Lent is a difficult season by design, and we're invited to acknowledge and enter into the reality that Christ came to save us precisely because of how desperately we needed saving. So you're invited to join us On this journey of Lent starting on Ash Wednesday here where each of us who comes forward will receive a mark of ashes on our foreheads in the shape of a cross, a reminder that we are but dust and that Jesus Christ is the only source of our life and hope. The transfiguration leads us into Ash Wednesday, into the wilderness of Lent. We are invited to journey honestly through the darkness of the world around us and the darkness in our own hearts. But like the disciples, like Moses, like the -the glow-in-the-dark t-shirts the kids have, we enter this journey with the glory of Christ still warm on our faces. Amen.